back here on Sports Talk as we continue 20 past the hour right now. And let's uh, say hello to Mario Mocha, the director of athletics for New Mexico State. He joins us live on the phones right now as we continue. Mario, happy Friday. How you holding up? Well, you know, I was just sitting here pondering if that was the Cars Dream Police. I should know who sang that. That's my era. It's not the Cars. You should know. Um, you should know Rick Ocasek's voice when you hear it. Dream Police was Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick. Good call. All right. Well, if you would have gave me a little longer, I probably wouldn't have came up with it. But uh, other than that, no, it's going okay. <laughs> just uh, was up in Albuquerque uh, for the day yesterday, came back, and, uh, you know, you're always working the phones, and uh, uh, just uh, ever-changing landscape reminds me a lot of uh, – uh, what what happened in the spring? No doubt, and we heard the news about the SWAC today, and that uh, obviously means that your uh, home opponent on November fourteenth, Texas Southern, in football, could be in doubt since the league decided, you know, announced uh, that they're going to be canceling fall sports. So, uh, you know, not not the kind of news you want to hear. Since Stadium reported today that that announcement is expected to come on Monday, all fall fall sports going to be canceled for the SWAC. Yeah, we saw that. Obviously, following the MEAC, I saw the Colonial, you know, which includes James Madison, uh, you know, a national championship FCS football program, and then you know, obviously the Atlantic Ten. That was a biggie. Uh, today with their suspension of fall sports in the America East. So I was talking to my CFO, Ed Pazaski, and he's like, by his count, it looks like maybe 70 Division One schools, you know, have already, you know, pushed those the, the fall sports back, um, you know, hopefully to the spring. But, um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's uh, trending in not a positive direction, you would say. That's true. Now, um I know for you, UCLA is, is was a game that you were banking on. Florida is a game you're still banking on. Uh, we don't know what the SEC is going to do. We don't know what the Big 12 and the ACC will do yet, but they're still left to make their decisions. Um, as tough as it is with you having to replace a huge money game like UCLA, I, I said it earlier before I brought you on, you're to me one of the most resourceful ADs in the country bar none and you're usually a step or two ahead of everybody else now the question is going to be that because so many schools are in a similar boat is it first one in wins or how do you figure out a way to salvage all the losses you and the rest of the group of fives could have as a result of all these scheduling changes well you know you're just working the phones i mean i you hear something or see something in the media you know i texted one of my power five ad buddies he said yeah we're looking for a game you already have one on this date. Great. Um, I saw another Power Five was looking for a game, and I said, hey, don't forget about us. And then um, one of my uh, uh, compadres in the athletic department said, hey, you didn't see that email because uh, they were thinking about maybe coming here. And I'm like, wait, what? You know, I'm so focused on um, um, looking at uh, to get a guarantee game because that's what we need. Um, you know, my main focus is no longer getting home games. It's you know, can we slip in and play a power five somewhere? But, you know, unfortunately, all of this stuff, um, I think you can position yourself as best as you can, but it's in one of those uncomfortable positions where you kind of have to wait till the dominoes fall. I think you're going to have to wait to see what the power five does. That's what the group of five is waiting for. Then when the group of five makes their decisions, you know, we have to step in and be ready to react. So, um, I don't want to say we're doing busy work, but 
you know, I don't know how much um, um, tangible work we're doing um, while we just don't know what the landscape's going to be. As tough as it is to be an independent, you're not alone. There are other schools that are in the same boat as you. BYU has already had half their schedule affected by everything that's gone on. And, um, you know, you think about what BYU is, is about with, uh, with you know, their athletic program. And then you add in some of the schools up in the Northeast. Army's part of that as well. And um, UMass. And, and, and you start to look and, and say, there's only, I think, seven of you. But, you know, could you conceivably all play an independent-based schedule outside of Notre Dame since they get the ACC as a fallback option? I mean, I guess you got to explore all the options at this point. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I know I talked to somebody from uh, 247 Sports, and I just was looking at an article that they put it up there. Uh, you know, on Monday of this week, we actually did have a telephone call, or I'm sorry, a Zoom, with um, all the independent athletic directors. Um, so that would be myself. Uh, Tom from BYU, uh, Mike from Army, uh, Ryan from um, UMass, uh, Dave from UConn, and Ian from Liberty. And we had the scheduling guru um, on as well, um, Dave Brown, the former ESPN um, college football programming vice president. And, you know, it wasn't like a super heavy conversation. It was more, um, hey, we know we're all in the same boat. We, you know, at least it justified that you know, we're not over here thinking something different. You know, the dominoes have to fall. You know, the other independent, Notre Dame, you know, certainly looks to be taken care of by the Atlantic Coast Conference. Um, um, so, you know, if we if if there was football, we could play each other twice, like an NFL model. Um, so it was more along the lines of it's, sometimes it's nice to see somebody's face. Um, I wouldn't say commiserate, but just acknowledge that we're all at least thinking here is a possibility. I think when you go through this, um, you know, there is no possibilities that you can't think of or uh, take off the table at this moment. So you want to be prepared with, you know, every single scenario, even if it's, uh, quote, unquote, uh, not the most comfortable one. Along the same lines, have you yet in any informal conversation uh, spoken to Jim Center at UTEP about the potential of a possible home-and-home in football with the minors, uh, should the case arise. Well, I tell you what, Jim and I spoke, if it wasn't yesterday, it was the day before. And we had a couple of topics that we touched on. Um, so without, you know, Cap, you bugging our phones or anything, I don't want to. But, uh, yeah, I think we, we talked about a lot of different possibilities. Um, that would be good for both of us. I think everybody knows geographically where we are. So once again, you know, nothing is ever off the table. Did I do a good job of well, answering let's just put that it this way. without answering it? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just thinking that it's a bus trip that lasts 30 minutes versus yep. a flight or a longer trip. Um, and, you know, obviously there's a rivalry. The games are usually pretty well contested. And obviously, games getting games could be at a premium this year. And if uh, if if you know need be, and you got to work something out, I mean that just makes the most logical sense. Yeah. If you would, if I, either if both schools would need another game. Yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. It makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, it makes some sense for us in New Mexico as well. Um, mm-hmm. Heck, it might make sense for 
UNM and UTEP, you know, if things get really cattywampus. But, uh, yeah, it certainly um, is one of the many topics we touched upon when we spoke. Okay. By the way, that was the first time in the history of sports talk the words cattywampus has made it on thank air. You. So Also, yeah, well, you, thank maybe you. you are bugging our phones. I'm going to have to get these lines checked. You need to. I need to. I just. I just picked up on that, and I said, you know what? Anytime I'm. On, anytime I'm really paying attention to a good interview like you, I always try to find out what's. You know, sometimes the words that are being used. And yes, I've never heard Caddy Wampus on the air before until today. So well, I'm glad you we have once make, again uh, radio found a way history. to do it. You are. You're. You're always. Always in that. Uh, in that boat. That's for sure. Um, now we're talking to Mario Mocha here on Sports Talk as as we continue. What's the plan right now with the situation in the state of New Mexico as far as your athletes go? Getting the opportunity to have them all back on campus and being able to resume workouts. Uh, you know, with with what the governor said last week or earlier this week, I might have been. Does that also include you as well, or is that more of just involving the high school sports well you know it seems like it uh, might be more high school sports we know that the governor uh, said hey she would like it to include us and I, you know, I won't say it verbatim but you know we're not maybe directly under her purview like that but she would encourage us to be smart and so on and so forth so that's us and the University of New Mexico um, so yeah I guess in theory uh, and once again, when it comes to edicts from the governor, I, I want to tread uh, on eggshells for not to say the, the wrong thing. But it looks like um, New Mexico State and New Mexico could play football. But I think there's other things at play that would need to get an answer on right now. There's a 14-day quarantine period. So if you went somewhere and came back and the football team, in theory, couldn't leave their houses for 14 days or until we got a you know, a, a negative check, even though when you fly in, um, which we would, um, you know, you would have a quarantine. That wouldn't really work for a football season. Um, somebody told me, and I have to do some research on this, that there are a couple of states, and I think they invoke New York might be one, that got an exemption for, like, college football uh, or athletics. So um, that would be a possibility, too, but... You know, Cap, there are so many unanswered questions, and the one you asked is on the list as well. You know, what, you know what's going to happen, you know, from a state standpoint. Well, that's what we're all wondering right now as we continue our conversation with uh, Mario Mocha, Director of Athletics from Mexico State. If you've got a question, send it our way. But in the meantime, let's go right now to Adrian. He has another bottom-of-the-hour Sports Center update as we continue. Adrian, thank you very much for that. We're back right now with Mario Mocha, Director of Athletics, New Mexico State, uh, here on Sports Talk. If any of you have got a question for Mr. Mocha, you can send it our way either on Twitter or on our free mobile app powered by United Bank. I'm looking forward to that. So uh, in the meantime, as we kind of analyze the way this is going down right now with uh, with New Mexico State Athletics. Uh, I know we spoke, uh, we, we, we have a chance to talk to, uh, to Coach Dimmel here uh, on a daily basis uh, to preview his team in depth, and he mentioned that you know, he's got just about everybody back on campus right now, at least starting workouts. How many athletes, student-athletes, are currently uh, in Cruces out there with you uh, on the campus right now? Boy, I tell you what, there's got to be at least uh, somewhere between 150 and 175. Um, you know, I say that because we just retested, you know, uh, what, a few days ago, uh, 171 individuals 
mm-hmm. and there wasn't a whole lot of coaches or staff personnel on there. And I know some more has come in. So probably at least 175. That's football, volleyball, men's and women's basketball, soccer, um, and then you know some of the other sports as well. How many uh, total athletes do you have in terms of your uh, student body? Uh, you know, it's about 400, Cap. I mean, we have 16 uh, sports, six men's and 10 women. So that makes up, you know, a ballpark of 400 student athletes. So, you know, a lot of them are, um, or a good portion of them are here, certainly uh, all of football as well. That's good. I mean, that's what you need right now and try to get everybody back and working out and, and, and ultimately preparing for a season because right now, as far as we know, on G- on July 17th, there's still going to be a, a college football season. What, we don't know, but you got to be able to uh, be able to have everything ready, right? Yeah, I mean, that's it. You have to prepare. You know, it's the starting and the stopping and things that you're not, you know, I, I get a report, uh, you know, two football players had a stomach thing, so we're sending them for a test. And now I'm waiting and waiting. Oh, they were negative. I'm like, okay, you know, hey, so-and-so had a headache. We're sending them for a test. No, it's negative. So, you know, you're, our, our, our medical staff, you know, is hypersensitive. And when you have, you know, 400 kids, you know, you're going to have your ailments and your sniffles and your, you know, your whatever. And, you know, right now a lot of people are uh, kind of on edge, you know, and uh, rightly so. But it's just changed the way things have, have worked in the past for sure. Absolutely. Now, I heard you tell, um, it might have been Colin Deaver, that, you know, worst case scenario, you would have to take out a loan to pay back. Um, was that something that you were, you know, dead serious about in terms of just trying to make sure that you can recoup some of the uh, potential losses if these money games uh, do not uh, translate into the millions of dollars that you were expecting this season? Well, it's a good question, and, um, you know, it's funny because as I was driving back, I was talking to one of our state representatives, Micaela Lara Cadena, and explaining uh, to her some of our budget uh, situations. And, you know, Cap, like I always tell our fans, think of it as shoebox, you know, on, on your kitchen table. Um, one is monies from the state of New Mexico. One is monies from the university. One is student fees. One is our corporate-sponsored deal with Learfield, our multimedia rights partner. One is ticket sales and donations, right? I can kind of budget for a reduction in all of those areas. You know, so the first bucket that we got an answer on, or shoebox, was the New Mexico, uh, the state of New Mexico. They had a 6% cut. That's $236,000 less in our budget, okay? Um so I can kind of game plan for all of those shoeboxes, but what I can't game plan for is the $2.75 million from those two guarantee games. You know, that uh, when you're operating on a approximately a $18 million budget, do the math. I mean, that's a huge part of your budget. And um, I, I don't say this from, a, from a, a flippant standpoint, but, you know, you could furlough the whole department almost and not be able to make up that. So... You know, where do you get that money? I don't know, but the one thing I do know that we have the ability to do, like for collateral, is to, is to get um, guarantee games in the future. Now, we have really tried not to play any more than two buy games. You know, last year we uh, were forced to do three. We did Washington State, Alabama, and Ole Miss. You know, as much as you don't want to do it to your football program, I could tell the powers that be, hey, Float me the $2.75 million, 
and next year I will move some things around and I will play another guarantee game for, I'm just talking out loud, you know, $1.3 million. And then I will just owe you $1.4 million. And the next year I'll play another buy game. And now I'm even. Now I still owe, you know, for my existing deficit. But that to me is one way that it could be done. And that's easy for the guy walking into the bank to say, hey, man, you know, you could do this. The banker has to agree with you. And, you know, the, I don't know if, you know, that's a, that would be a university, maybe a regent's decision. Uh, but just from the athletic director's chair, that's a, um, I, I just, at the present time, I don't see another way to get that money. I can't go down to Citizens Bank or Wells Fargo or First American Bank in Las Cruces and, and you know, West Star Bank and, and, you know, get a loan for $3 million. Um, you know, I, I think I can only get that from the university. So um, we shall see. Now, does UCLA have the same clause in their deal that Florida does, that if a game gets canceled, uh, you're uh, basically SOL, or do they have uh, ways for you to try to recoup that money? Yeah, I'm getting my uh, paralegals degree here with a force majeure. Uh, you know, when it went the section of the contract, it was funny because when this first came out, um, you know, it seemed to me like selective use of the force majeure portion of that. So, you know, it's act of war or acts of God, war, riots, you know, natural disasters. You know, it seems like if they say, hey, New Mexico State, we're not going to play you, but we're going to play a full slate of conference games, you know, then that's great, but you still owe me the money because you broke our contract. Um, you know, and while our attorneys are looking at the contracts, um, you know, I, I do know that Florida does have a, a section in there about, you know, if the conference makes a decision, so on and so forth. So, you know, I don't want to speculate too much on that. Um, it's not really, it's really for the, our general counsel to take a look at it and analyze and see what the, um, you know, what the opportunities might be. Um, maybe there's sure. a, a potential settlement or something. Uh, but right now, you know, I think there's a time and a place to try to recruit those monies. Um, now we just have a little bit different priority of um, maybe looking at our schedule, um, looking at, you know, the NCA's, you know, testing procedures and how it, you know, affects us, um, you know, financially and uh, from a doability standpoint. So, you know, that's an iron in the fire. It's just not the one we need to pull out right now. No, I understand. And it's funny because next season you play at Alabama and at Kentucky in a two-week period in mid-November. I mean, that's a, you know, usually you play those money games at the start of the year, but as an independent, you're playing them uh, in November uh, for 2021. And then looking at 2022, you're at Minnesota, you're at Wisconsin, so and you're at Missouri. So technically you've already got three money games lined up for 2022. Yeah, um, that is one of the things. Now, that is, um, you know, that year cap. And it's funny, I'm counting along with you because I have my schedules right here as well. Um, You know, unfortunately, that's kind of paying for a little bit of the sins of the past. You know, we did a two-for-one with Minnesota that, I mean, (laughs) if there's a few things I could go back and, and say, why are you doing this, that would be one of them. I mean... This university never needs to play a two-for-one. It puts you in a horrible position where, you know, we got $800,000 from Minnesota. And then 
we're trading 200,000 when they came here and then when we go there. So, you, you know, the way I look at it, and I don't want to go too far on this, but, I mean, we just we gave away a, at least a million dollars on that decision. That That's one of those that really hurts. But um, um, I'm just a little passionate about that because uh, I know how much money that could have been for us. But um, anyway, we're looking forward. And, uh, yeah, but it's tough. But that Alabama game is paying $1.9 million, Cap. You know, there is Good. nothing I have that can generate uh, money like that on an afternoon. And, you know, while the coaches certainly don't love it, you know, the kid, if you ask all of our football players, just like I, I loved to tee it up against Arizona State and U of A and Texas Tech when I was a baseball player because I wanted yeah. to try to prove myself, you know, and um, I have respect my opponents, but, you know, I wasn't as excited way back in 88 if we were going to play, you know, an in-state school, what have you. So, and I don't mean UNM, I just mean, you know, we play some other schools there. So the kids love it. Um, I love the money, um, but it's tough on the program. How much is the Kentucky game? Oh, boy, I think it's uh, 1.3. Wow, so you're clearing over 3 mil next year in those in those two yeah. games by itself. All right, now you got to get creative and figure out how to clear another million plus and go from there. Yeah, well, I'm going to let you put. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to activate you on the team as quarterback for one of those games. All right. Sounds good. And by the way, um, the NMSU uh, bake sale has been floated uh, around by you. So, has is there any steam coming out of the NMSU bake sale? Uh, bake sale. Uh, there is not. You know, I try to keep it light, and so far, I think people. You know, you can't be too doom and gloom or everything, but I, I, I said I have an Aggie bake sale because literally uh, I, I just don't see, you know, we have down to 16 sports. That's the NCA minimum. I think almost everybody who's a sports fan and is familiar with our program knows that we have a bare bones budget. I mean, you know, there is, uh, I'll challenge anybody if they say different, but, you know, we don't have uh, any fat on the body. You know, um, Chris Jans' salary, Doug Martin's salary, um, you know, according to USA Today, is uh, some of the lowest in the country. Um, so, you know, I wish there was fat that you could cut and say, hey, we can get a million dollars from here or there. But the reality is, um, boy, it's a, um, you know, it's tough. Story that flew under the radar before we wrap things up with you. Uh, Tobin Echohawk uh, today promoted to assistant uh, softball coach out at NMSU, former UTEP head softball coach. Yeah, you know, Kathy uh, obviously has a history um, in El Paso as well as uh, Kat, um, our first assistant. And, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting whenever those moves take place, you know, when um, um, – um, when Yvonne goes over to coach uh, women's tennis or when Ben um, goes over to coach volleyball, I think it's always uh, certainly a, a unique thing where we just happen to be two Division One schools and, um, you know, there's not another one within 250-plus miles of us, so you have a lot of crossover, and, you know, this is uh, one for the Aggies. So, um, you know, Kathy had a great... You know, I hated that it got interrupted because we beat Nebraska twice. We beat Oklahoma, or Oregon State, and uh, we beat ASU, ranked number 17 in the country, in Tempe. So she was off and running to another tremendous season, and it got cut short. But uh, certainly uh, um, looking forward to getting to know my new employee a little bit better. 
Very nice. Hey, in the meantime, appreciate the conversation as always. Lots of great insight. And uh, let's get a chance and do it again with you soon. Okay. Thanks, Cap. Thanks for having me. Mario Mocha, Director of Athletics, New Mexico State, joining us here on Sports Talk as we continue. 46 Pass, come back with more right after ABC 7 News. It's next, 600 ESPN El Paso. Hour two of three is underway. Along with Adrian Bratis, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. You know what's coming up next? The opportunity to say hello once again to UTEP head football coach Dana Dimmel, who's on the road, driving back, and he joins us live as Sports Talk continues. Coach, uh, how are you? How's the drive? Cap, I'm doing good. The drive is long. <laughs> it's long. Yep, definitely long. Just hit up. Went one mile, 35 minutes to go one mile in Wichita. So, uh, construction. So, you don't expect oh. that on long trips. But, uh, yep, so, but heading, heading that way. So, heading back to, to ET. So, looking forward to it. I know you are, and that's, uh, I'm telling you, that's a tough drive for anybody to make, especially uh, UTEP's head football coach. But, hey, if there's ever a way to, to just, um, you know, lose the distractions for a day or so, it's, it's drive back to El Paso from Iowa, right? Yeah, no doubt. Just what everybody wants to do, right? <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So this will be good. This will be a good way to pass the time while we're uh, driving here and take my mind off the road a little bit and, be able to visit with you. So. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, then, then tell us. Um, you know, we've we've had. Uh, let's see, running back, linebacker, offensive line. What uh, are you going to throw at us today as we go position by position at the minors? A little bit of a twist here because what I'm going to do is we're going to divide up the defensive backfield and we're going to talk about the cornerback position today. And it, it's such an important position. Um, obviously, uh, if you're good at corner, there are so many more things you can do defensively. And I'm going to marry the nickel position into the corner position a little bit because that's a position at nickel where you want a guy that's able to uh, play man-to-man coverage. You can play some of your man-free coverages and your man coverages. So we're going to hybrid out some corners at nickel uh, in some of our nickel packets. So there'll be times when we'll have a nickel in there that's really good at, at uh, coverage, and another time we'll have a nickel in there uh, that's uh, a, a better rusher off the edge, kind of like the Sam Backer position we talked about when we're in our eye. So when we're our even stuff, then the nickel uh, a lot of times will either be uh, a physical safety or a cover corner. And so... I'm going to talk a little bit about the corner position married into the nickel spot. So, obviously, Cap, that leads into one of the guys that's had a tremendous offseason through all this and so disciplined. Uh, got to see him working out yesterday and running uh, yesterday and looked really good is Josh Caldwell. And Josh was obviously a starter for us last year, is returning there at that spot. And like most guys, he's got himself so much better uh, in preparation for year two and year one physically. Uh, and his leadership has been incredible to this football team. So I think he's going to have an outstanding season at corner. No one uh, prepares himself any better than Josh does. And just really looking forward to what he can do. At the, uh, at the other corner spot, scheduled to start right now is Deron Lowe. Deron, mm-hmm. again, I don't know if there's – you need much more talent 
at that corner position than what Duran gives us. He was obviously someone that when we recruited him, he had committed to Texas Tech, had trouble uh, with um, academics the year he was supposed to come out to Tech, and so he had to sit a semester. He ended up uh, getting through the class he needed to get through, and we ended up getting him on the back end of all that. And so, you know, he's a Big 12 caliber player that I thought, you know, had a solid first year, but again, so much more uh, mature. His preparation has improved so much, Cap, and and so uh, he's got a chance to really, really be good. So we could get ourselves to the point, you know, we could do so much when we had Nick Needham there at corner, and uh, I feel like this year we'll be back and a lot closer to having those kind of caliber corners, which will be really important for us. And so those are the top two guys uh, that we have at the corner spot. Obviously, we've created a lot of depth there, and uh, I'm really excited about the depth we've created. Dennis Barnes is a young man we brought in from Fort Scott Community College, and Dennis, it, through our uh, winter workout, was the fastest guy we had. He had, he had gone to KU's camp um, his senior year in high school and ran a 4-3 in the 4-3 as a senior in high school on college coaches' watches, you know, so legitimate watches that, you know, of guys I know and trust uh, that are, you know, really good at timing. So he's super fast, super athletic. I said, like I said, won all of our winter conditioning running workouts. And um, he's going to be hard to keep off the field. He's going to really push for that one of those starting two corner spots. And also he can play that nickel spot, as I alluded to uh, at the beginning of the talk here. So those three guys are the three headliners, but we've created even more depth there. Robert Corner is a really talented player we recruited out of Cerritos last year, and he ended up redshirting last year uh, for academic reasons. He was an academic redshirt. He'll be eligible this year and uh, really has some good length and uh, very long arms, runs extremely well. So he's going to challenge and give us some, some really quality depth there. And then Varenzo Holmes is a young man recruited out of Mississippi Junior Colleges that uh, was highly recruited. We beat some power, you know, not power fives, but some other uh, group of five teams that went to bowl, two group of five teams that went to bowl games last year. We ended up beating on Varenzo. And so those guys right there are the headliners, and that's five guys right there, Cap, and, and that's not even talking about a couple new additions uh, that we've brought in. We brought in Travion Ballard out of Cerritos just recently, and Travion's three for two, which means he has a redshirt year, and we thought it was important to bring him in, and even if he doesn't, uh, if he uses his redshirt this year, if we need to, we feel like it was important to have him really prepared for next year because Caldwell and Lowe both graduate. And then we have a, real, a young freshman that we redshirted last year, Carrington Mitchell, who's really caught our eye and is very, very impressive and I think is going to be a real star in the future for us. So I wanted to break that position down because there's seven guys, again, at those two-slash-three spots that we have to work with. So good, good group, really, really athletic group, and I'm looking forward to watching those guys allow us to do a lot more things defensively. It's a veteran group because you're dealing with mostly juniors and seniors, and that's important yeah. because 
in a lot of the positions we talked about, you're young at offensive line. You got a terrific mixture of youth and vets uh, at running back. You're also, um, you know, kind of in a spot now where you're you're young at linebacker in some ways. But it seems like if you need to rely on a veteran group, cornerbacks is really that position for you. It really is, and what we've decided to do, you know, that's why Travion Ballard came into the equation because we are older. And so we've made the decision philosophically that we feel like, you know, with Josh Caldwell, Dennis Barnes, Deron Lowe, Travion Ballard, Robert Corner, all the good quality corners we've been able to get out of the junior college ranks, we've made that decision philosophically that that's how we're going to recruit our defensive secondary. We're going to recruit our defensive secondary by sprinkling in some youth but we also feel like we can do really, really well at that position in the junior college rank, and so we're trying to piggyback some things. You know, Robert Corner came in redshirted last year. Travion Ballard could come in redshirt this year. So we feel like Carrington Mitchell's a good young guy. So we feel like we're balancing it out, but those guys do add a lot of experience for us, and that's going to be the trend next year as we look in the next year's signing class cap event. We're already looking at, okay, we're probably going to sign – probably two to three secondary junior college players, whether it comes out of the corner position or the safety spot. And so that's what we're targeting and it's going to be our philosophy moving forward. UTEP head football coach Dana Dimmel with us here on Sports Talk. Now, I know it's an impossible question to answer, at least because every player is different. But when you go deep into junior college, and you did it at K-State, you're doing it now at UTEP, do you find historically – defensive backs are the position that you're able to hit on with the highest success rate in being able to transform their ability to the D1 level? I do. I do. I think it's the position that athleticism is the key trait. And with that being said, they can make that transition. There's not as much processing that goes on at the corner position. There's more raw talent, athleticism than it's necessary to be a, have a good skill set there. And so that's why I feel like they don't need as much time in your system to adapt and get better. And so that's, that's the thoughts behind that. And, of course, that comes from, you know, years of experience of us having success recruiting uh, the defensive backfields from the junior college ranks at Kansas State. It's interesting. I talked to a coach that's on Oklahoma State staff that was at Southern Miss when they were struggling at Southern Myth after Bauer left and and, um, they, and Munkin came in and they struggled the first couple of years and, and then Munkin got it turned around, he said that they relied on junior college guys at certain positions to do it and they thought that that's the way to go in our conference to really get yourself, you know, to that higher level. And uh, I agree at certain positions we want to be able to do that and that's the one – we're not going to do it at a lot, but that's the one we definitely want to do it at. As you mentioned, there's going to be times when you're going to play nickel. There's going to be other times when you go to the traditional two-cornerback uh, defensive backfield. But when you're playing with uh, potentially three corners and uh, not necessarily – you could also have a safety, but if you're potentially going with that third corner in the nickel package, who as of now would your top three be? Would it be the first three you mentioned to us during the breakdown here today? 
It could be, but, you know, Davion Inyang is a safety force, as I'll get to in one of our later shows. Tap that's also, you know, plays that role of a more physical nickel force uh, on, on every down situations. And so when I get into the safety spot, I'll visit more about how that triangle of safety is a workforce because that's three positions as well. So the corner spot, uh, we'd use the corner at the nickel spot in passing type of situations. We wanted to bring some pressure, play some cover one off of it, no pressure with some cover one uh, with a whole player underneath and, and use some derivatives off of that. So that's kind of the mix there of our personnel and, and the variety we're going to be able to have, jumping from odd with three backers to even with two backers and a, and a safety and even with two backers and three corners in the ball game. So a lot of variety to what we're going to be able to do defensively. Let me send it to Adrian right now. He's got some questions for you, Coach. Coach, uh, when you look at the nickel corner, I'm just so fascinated by it. I think it's changed so much since Bob Stoops really uh, you know, established it back in 2000 with the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, but yeah. the, the way that I really like about it is offenses don't really know what to make of that player. Uh, they could float in. They could attack the edge. They could stay wide. They could ravage the perimeter. What do you really like about the versatility of the nickel corner position? Yeah, well, it kind of falls into, you know, of course, Bob and I were together for a long time at Kansas State, and Bob and, and Jim Levitt, who went on to be a successful head coach and coordinator, and Mike Stoops all put in the cover one package. We called it brown coverage and gold coverage, and I took all that with me to Wyoming, uh, and we had a ton of success with it at Wyoming, and so that's kind of how it evolved into our system. So it goes way back to our beginning years when all of those guys were at K-State defensively, and it's been good for us. And so uh, we feel like it, it just brings so much more athleticism to your defensive unit and allows you not to get caught in bad matchups and uh, allows you to be more attacking uh, style of a defense because you feel like you can add one to the rush game. And uh, we all know that's a big goal for us is to create more turnovers, create more quarterback sacks. So by having – Three guys that can cover really well in there. It allows you to bring some some add one stuff, some five and six man pressures. And with like a guy like Isaiah Simmons, I mean, you you drool over a guy like that because he's so versatile and he kind of changes that position because you know everybody wants to throw him in as a linebacker position, but if he if he drops back into coverage and he plays that nickel corner position, he could be as versatile. Do you think that's where this position is headed? You you get a real physical guy like that and then have them also cover the pass when needed. I do. I think that's where Davion Inyang really falls into the equation, but. Just feeding off Xavier Simmons a little bit there, Adrian. He was our first workout. He ran the best of any of the newcomers. Uh, he looked fantastic. He got in there and really uh, looked really, really good running around. So I'm excited about him. He pushed himself, finished first in the running group of all the younger guys, and uh, was really had a great work ethic to him. So really excited about what he brings to the table. But, you know, this year – you know, that's where Davion Inyang and Dennis Barnes are really both going to be nice additions for us uh, at, the, at that nickel spot. 
And last one for me, Coach, uh, with Duran Lowe. Uh, he's also getting a lot of preseason love for his kickoff coverage. I, I obviously go back to that North Texas game where he had he broke away and had that 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. Does Is he looking like your starter at the kickoff returning position as well? Oh, great. You know, it's so funny because I was thinking, you know, with talking about the corners, uh, I was going to maybe jump into our return game, but I said maybe I'll talk about the return game on another segment. But uh, Duran, you know, obviously was player of the week uh, for his touchdown against uh, North Texas, and he almost took another one to the house that day. And so we're really looking forward to us as we mature in our kickoff return scheme, the same scheme we had at K-State that was top five in the country for many, many years in a row. And now our kids are finally really getting a good feel of execution on it. And, um, and Durant's really getting a good feel of hitting those creases uh, to carry on, uh, you know, the Tyler Lockett, the B.J. Reeds that are playing in the NFL that were return guys for us at K-State and really made our kickoff return very dynamic. Durant's starting to make a presence for himself uh, at that KOR spot, and people are taking recognition for that. UTEP head football coach Dana Dimmel breaking down cornerbacks uh, with us today here on Sports Talk. All right, um, Coach, this goes back long before you ever arrived, but we have seen over the years this UTEP team at times struggle to finish tackles, and I can't explain why, but it's been an issue, and it's something that will drive fans crazy sometimes. Now, you've got a veteran group of defensive backs, and you're going to have a, a much different look on defense this year. How do you uh, essentially hammer home to your team, especially a more disciplined group like you talked about, being able to complete the tackle and not, and not lose guys? Yep, and it's a good point. Discipline is going to be really important for us. Uh, our athleticism and our uh, method of what we train at is going to be really important for us. Um, I, I've heard, you know, you know, to, to understand uh, a university, you have to understand the history. And so in, in really studying the history, that's been true, Cap. I mean, we've struggled to be good on defense here at UTEP consistently. You know, that's been the, the issue. And, 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 so for me, that's why it's such heavy emphasis for us to get our defense trending the way it did at year one, and I feel like we're going to, and tackling is a critical, critical part of it because, you know, everyone say miss tackle, well, miss tackle, well, you know, you can't have miss tackle, you know, and miss tackle is fundamental, it's body position, it's conditioning, it's discipline, it's teamwork of everybody doing their job the way it's supposed to be done so you create angles on the football. So those are the things that we got to continue to work on. And if we can tackle well, that's going to be a huge part of us having a successful defense this year. Why do you think certain teams struggle so much? And I'm not just talking about UTEP. I'm talking about teams in general. Are they are they not taught the way they need to be coming up the ranks? Is it a fundamental thing? I mean, give me your give me your take on tackling and and why sometimes we see teams struggle more than others. I want to say one of the things that we've talked about as coaches over the last 10 years is that we felt like this is this is national perspective of coaches talking. We felt like some of the reason that defensive tackling has uh, the quality of defensive tackling has diminished it some is that a lot of players that are on defense were offensive players in high school 
that get moved over to defense, and they haven't had as much time in years growing up tackling people. And so we felt like that was a, a big trend that was affecting teams defensively as well. Uh, you know, I think that's part of it. And, you know, Cap, it's, it's so critical. But another thing that plays into it, you know, that you, is interesting food for thought is that these are big men now. You know what I'm saying? These are big men that you're trying to tackle. They're big men that are tackling them, much bigger men than 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But these are big dudes running the football now. You know what I mean? That, that, like we talked about, Q Wadley and Deion Hankins are both going to be pushing 220 this year, and, they, and they're fast. So now that power equation that you're talking, the power that's generated uh, by momentum of an offensive ball carrier based on the defensive player being in a more stationary position a lot of times in a more receiving type of position trying to get off blocks, I think that led to it some as well. I just think naturally it's harder to bring larger, faster, stronger people to the ground, even though you might be the same. Coach, terrific stuff this week. A, ter- a great way for us to end the week. We appreciate it. Safe travels in El Paso. And uh, as Pinky, one of our listeners, suggested on our free app, go use the Waze app, Coach. W-A-Z-E. You won't have to wait for 30 minutes to go a mile because it finds shortcuts. All right, Coach? So the Waze is the best one to use. I'm not going to say the one we did use, so. No, don't, don't. Right. Go download, go download the Waze app, and you'll make good time coming into town tonight. We promise you. That's right? great. Love, love the pointer. Thanks, guys. All right, coach. Talk to you Monday. Y'all Take later. care. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye. Dana Dimmel, giving us the lowdown. See that? We're going to have him load a new app up as he's driving back to El Paso. Hopefully, he's got the 600 ESPN El Paso app, which is what uh, Pinky used to give him the advice for the Waze app. Hey, we got a lot more in store. Charlie One's back. He's got a traffic update for us. It's time once again for story time with Hags when the voice of the El Paso Chihuahuas, Tim Haggerty, enlightens us on another story, sports-related or non-sports-related, something completely off the wall, obscure, and chances are something you've never heard before this segment, and you'll probably never hear it again after this segment. Let's send it right back to Tim and get another edition of Story Time here on Sports Talk. Steve, there are about 3,800 ghost towns in the United States, you know, old settlements that have houses or buildings, but they've become deserted. Nobody lives there, zero inhabitants. Today, I'd like to tell you about one that is underwater. There's a town in the United States that's underwater. Gad, West Virginia. The town was settled in 1889. It's in the central part of the state. It was a farming town. There was a general store, a post office, a school couple hundred people live there. Gad is now underwater, under a lake. In the 1960s, they decided they wanted to place a man-made lake there to limit flooding. So the United States government put together this massive construction project, and from 1960 to 1966, they vacated the town, and they built Summersville Lake there, which to this day remains a popular place to go for swimming, fishing, and boating. And a couple of years ago, they drained this lake for repairs, and you could still see the Gad, West Virginia roadways. So there is a town in the United States, a now extinct town, that is underwater. Okay, there's a lot to um, 
unpack with this particular story that you're going to give us from Gad, West Virginia. Now, um, you said that when they were building the lake, they all evacuated from the town, correct? Yes. My understanding is there's a, a government contract to build this lake, and those residents that were still there, few of them, were told to leave. Now, was the plan since the lake was built, um, you know, in West Virginia, was the plan to just flood the town from the very beginning, I'm assuming? Was that the idea when they built the man-made lake? They knew that the town of Gad was going away, or did, did, okay, so they just decided we're going to replace this town with a lake. Yeah, evidently it's in an area. Whether it's in a valley of sorts, I don't know. But this is a a spot where it was right on a river, and a lot of flooding was taking place there. And they estimated that from the 1960s until now, they have just saved millions of dollars in hypothetical floods that would have happened had it not been for this reservoir, um, which is a very scenic lake when you look at the images, but it also serves as sort of a runoff uh, when there's severe rain and flooding. Have we had the idea to see anything really interesting at the bottom where Gad, West Virginia, used to be, which is now Summersville Lake? I mean, do they find anything yes. interesting when they go down there? Like, Kind of like when you travel to the Disney uh, private island and you go down to certain areas, you can see Mickey floating on the bottom of the, uh, of the water and, and other characters from Disney. What do we find at the bottom of Gad, West Virginia, when people go diving? So when you go down to the bottom of Summersville Lake in Gad, West Virginia, there are spots that you can see old roadways. And evidently there's some images on the rocks, uh, whether it be people's initials that were carved in, um, this is a full-fledged town with a, a general store, a school, a church. So there still remains some some reflections of that. Um, I don't know what it is on the rocks, but they say when you get down deep enough, you can see these inscriptions. Okay, so that makes sense. So it's not like they kept the buildings intact. The buildings were raised to build the lake, but just because they probably maybe left something still standing from the town, you could still go out and find things. It's not like you're going to be able to dive down and go into the uh, go into the old town store because it's still standing at the bottom of the lake. Yeah, it's not like a, a snow globe where, you know, mm-hmm. there's like something sur- completely surrounded by water. Uh, the buildings are gone, which it's interesting to bring that up because I was wondering – I saw it described as an extinct town, and I wondered, what's the difference between an extinct town and a ghost town? And I guess that's the difference, is that ghost towns, you still see these old buildings that are just vacant, whereas an extinct town, no moss, there's nothing there. Adrian, you want to have a crack at this one? Yes, I've thought about this one. Summersville Lake, right? You would think uh, if, if you wanted to travel out there, hey, why don't go? Why don't you go in the summer? Well, how about this? If you go into the winter uh, to Summersville Lake, the lake is actually drained for repairs, and you could actually see parts of the old roadway, foundations, and stone carvings that are all visible if you go there in the winter. Interesting. The history of Gad, right there. When they went ahead and they drained the lake, I mean, 
how much they obviously didn't drain the entire lake. So how much uh, were they able to see once they uh, were able to get that uh, get that drained? Do we have any idea? No clue. I have no clue on that one. This is interesting. Wow. What kind of you said drain for repairs? Uh, what needs repairing on a reservoir? Well, you told me that they drained. You said they drained the lake, didn't you? I did, and then Adrian just said drain for repairs, and that that, that particular ah. part makes me wonder. I mean, um, yeah. what am I missing on that? Let me see here. I'm well, you know, maybe there's a dam this. attached to it, and they have to they have to drain the water to fix the bottom of the dam. Maybe that's the situation. You know what the worst is? The dam is probably named Gad Dam. <laughs> I mean, is that really? Why, is that why it's Summersville Lake instead of that? Instead of Gad? Wouldn't you think? Yeah, if Summersville I mean, if was a, the nearest uh, town. Right. I mean, who would want to use the name Gad Dam uh, um, in terms of that? So apparently, uh, the U.S. Army, uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers decided they wanted to use the name of the next nearest town, which is Summersville. So that's why it's Summersville Lake, and the dam is saying, not named. You're saying named Gad Dam. Yet you're not. You're not saying a bad word. You're saying Gad. That depends on where you're from. Let's be honest. If I go back to your home in Massachusetts, and there's a bad play involving a Red Sox game, and somebody says to me, "God damn," it's not going to be regarding West Virginia. They're talking about correct? No, no. they're mad at Noma Gassiapara. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, that is, this is fascinating. Now, do we know, was there ever anybody famous that grew up in Gad, uh, West Virginia? Well, they did not have a notable resident section on Gad's Wikipedia page. So as far as I know, there wasn't. Um, I consider West Virginia to be a really underrated place. I got to go there because of KROD uh, back in 2015. I broadcast a uh, UTEP Miners basketball game at Marshall. And uh, what a scenic place. Um, really underrated. You know, people might not think that about West Virginia, but just beautiful green hills and a lot of lakes and rivers. It's a cool place. Yeah, I was really hoping that there was a baseball game or, or like a, a famous baseball something that happened in Gad, West Virginia. But I don't know if that's if if that's yeah, the case, unfortunately. Unfortunately, I couldn't. And I remember months ago now um, on the Santa Claus Indiana edition mm. of Story Time, uh, you asked the same thing, and, and Adrian discovered that Jay Cutler was randomly from there. Um, wasn't there another quarterback? Maybe uh, the older Greasy. That's Bob right, Greasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, but, yeah, uh, Adrian, no luck on Gad, on famous residents. No, I'm looking right now. There's just not that many people, famous people from West Virginia in general. Don Knotts, that's probably the most famous person out of West Virginia, along with Jerry West, and maybe you could throw in Steve Harvey and Brad Paisley in the mix. Well, there's not going to be anyone famous from Gad anymore. Nobody lives there. It's underwater. That's true. That's, very, that's a great fish. point. By the way, do you know the great sitcom that uh, Don Knotts starred in now um, in the uh, in the seventies? No, can you fill us in? Yeah, one of the cl- all time classics. He was Mister Furley in Three's Company. Oh, okay. 
Oh, yeah. He was terrific in that. And by the way, before that, he was Deputy Sheriff Barney Fife on the Andy Griffith Show. Now, the Andy Griffith Show was in reruns when I was a kid, but in the 60s, it was huge. So I remember Don Knotts from Ralph Furley, but he was born in Morgantown, West Virginia. So, you know, not didn't uh, get the opportunity to be from GAD, West Virginia. <laughs> and Speaking we know, of Three's Company, um, just a quick story. I was walking by the TV yeah. the other day, and there was this show on, I can't remember what it was, and this younger actor, and his face just looked exactly like John Ritter, and it was his son. John Ritter's son is an active actor now. Oh, that's right. I saw that. I did see that John's son has been doing that in acting, which is good. Do we know, by the way, do we know for sure, was it Gad or Gade? Because it's not God. We know that. But do you think that they pronounced it in West Virginia as Gad? I saw the theory that it was uh, perhaps named after one of their early residents, which that family's name spelling was G-A-D-D or G-A-D. So I was thinking Gad. Hmm. Okay. Well... Sure All I know is this: it is a that is a great way for us to end the week. Are, is that the only city that's buried underwater that you know of, or are there others that I could find? Um, there are thirty eight hundred ghost towns in the United States, population zero, and the state that has the most is Texas. Good to know. Good to know. All right, it's another wonderful edition of story time with hags. And I'll tell you something. We learn something every week from you. We do. We absolutely learn uh, something new each week. And maybe these were stories that when we have the 2021 Chihuahuas baseball season, in some way, shape, or form, you will figure out a way to incorporate some of these anecdotes during a game broadcast. That's a great idea. Maybe on a rainout, talk about Gad. You know, this ballpark's underwater. There's a town that's underwater. There you go. That's yeah. perfect. You know, they're bringing out the tarps, which brings me to <laughs> Gad, West Virginia, everybody. That would be fun. So, I love it. All right, well, listen. Enjoy the weekend. Stay safe. And as always, we'll look forward to uh, next Friday when we get a chance to do another story time with you, Tim. Okay, thanks, Steve. It's Tim Haggerty. Wrapping us up on another terrific week here on Sports Talk. Adrian and I will be back Monday at 4 for another edition, taking your phone calls and your comments. But in the meantime, we'll talk to you then, everybody. Stay safe, have a great weekend, and look forward to Monday's show on 600 ESPN El Paso.